Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good morning, Summit family. I am so glad that you're worshiping with us today. My name is Mel Massingale, and I'm one of the pastors here at Summit. And I just want to say thank you for worshiping with us from wherever you may be watching. I know as I was looking at Facebook Live a minute ago before I came up, I saw people watching from Oklahoma and Texas and North Carolina and Florida and all over the state of Pennsylvania. And I see uh, people that are members of our church and I see people who have moved away and I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us today. No matter how you are making the Summit a part of your day, whether you're watching from Facebook Live or our website at summitpa.church, thank you so much for worshiping with us on this special day. Um, I gotta be honest with you, we only had six people in our 9 a.m. worship experience, and somehow we've actually decreased from there. So we only have four people watching me preach this in the house today. But, um, you know, extraordinary circumstances call for extraordinary actions, and so I'm so grateful for our tech team, our worship team, uh, our staff for helping us pull off this incredible experience this weekend. So thank you for being a part. Thank you for worshiping with us. Let me say, first of all, um, there were some reasons behind why we decided to cancel in-person services this weekend. Because if you know me, you know I hate canceling. I, I can't say that word strongly enough. Hate is not even strong enough. I hate canceling services for any reason at all. But there were several reasons the leadership ultimately decided to do it. Number one, when uh, Governor Wolf uh, closed public schools for a few weeks, uh, what we felt like is the governor's intention, the government's intention, is to limit kids mixing in large groups. And on a weekend, we'll have 250 to 300 children here at our kids' uh, kids ministry. And so we're going to be mixing kids together. Um, that was part of it. Part of it was we couldn't maintain the six feet of social space that they were encouraging us to maintain. So even if we could do something about it in our auditorium, people have got to go through the lobby to get out. And so it was impossible to do that. So we actually talked about what if we just put like bubble wrap around everybody or, you know, the big, uh, you know, tubes or what. Let's figure out something. But no, we didn't really. But there's no way to do that. And then the final thing was we just had this realization that if one person tested positive, um, then it had the potential to quarantine 1,500 people. And if that was the case, then uh, it could cause significant issues in our community for individual families. And so we made the decision uh, to, to go ahead and cancel. So next weekend, we're going to be looking at maybe doing the same thing. We'll let you know in the next few days. But at this point, that is the plan. And we'll confirm that in the next few days. So uh, let me just give you a couple of housekeeping things. Number one, the egg hunt, the Easter outreach that we do every year. Uh, we are postponing that for both Indiana and Blairsville. Uh, that was out of our control because IUP decided they were limiting all activities on campus to 75 people or less. So that eliminated our activity. And we couldn't cancel that but not Blairsville because 1,000 people of the 3,000 from IUP would have just gone to Blairsville and would cause chaos down there for us. So what we decided is we're going to postpone both and we're going to wait because honestly, your kids don't care if we hunt eggs in June. The weather will be better and your kids won't give a rip. They don't care a bit. So we're going to postpone that and we're going to take a look at a better date. The She Is One Night Conference uh, with Jess Connolly, at this point, it's still tentatively scheduled, 
but we are looking at possible dates that we could postpone that to if we needed to as well. So again, our goal is not to cancel that. Our goal would be to postpone it if we needed to, but we'll let you know as soon as we know. And every other event we have on the calendar, we won't have anything at Summit this week. So youth, any of our midweek equipped classes, any of that stuff is going to be canceled. We will still have normal office hours, uh, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Thursday this week. So let us know if you have an issue, if you have a problem, if there's something we need to help you with, let us know about that. But we're so glad that you're worshiping with us today. I believe that uh, some of you might be watching because you might have heard that I have a, a special announcement for you, and I in fact do. I was hoping that I'd have a room full of people to tell you about this. Uh, we've been talking about launching a location in Blairsville uh, for a while, and I announced back in September of 2019 that 2020 was our year that we are going to launch a location, and I'm really excited to let you know that Summit is coming to Blairsville. Uh, we've actually signed the sales agreement on a building at 40 Market Street um, down in downtown in the, in the borough of Blairsville, and we're going to be closing on that next week, um, and then we've got to get some zoning things changed, but uh, we're excited about coming to Blairsville. We're also going to be purchasing a lot just a couple doors down. It's across the street from Sheets, and we're going to be paving that for parking, and so God's opened up some incredible doors, and I know I'm excited. I know our staff is excited. <laughs> That was four people, so that was pretty impressive. Anyway, we can't wait to see what God's going to do in Blairsville, Pennsylvania. And no matter what's going on in our culture, the kingdom of God advances, and we're so grateful that uh, you, you're partnering with us and working with us and that we get to see what God's doing. So, Blairsville, we're coming for you. Um, we're attempting to launch. Our goal is to launch the beginning of September of this year. Um, and again, that's a goal, so if we have to push it back because of uh, unforeseen circumstances, we will, but we're going to be there this fall in Blairsville. We're so excited to be there and partner with the incredible churches that are already there and work with the incredible pastors to reach that community for Jesus Christ. So thank you so much for your patience with us. It is going to be incredible. Uh, today we are continuing our series that we started a few weeks ago called Questions Jesus Asked. And the series is all about the questions that Jesus posed to his followers, and he's really not looking for an answer. What he's trying to do is get us to the right place. He's leading us to answer this question correctly. And so every week we've been going through some of the questions Jesus has asked, and he never asks them because he doesn't know the answer. He asks them to get us to arrive at the answer. And so today we're going to uh, start in Matthew chapter 9. So you can, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 9. If you're watching online, well, all of you except four of you are watching online, you can pull up your mobile device, your phone, your iPad, and you can actually go to the Version Bible app, go to the, the, the events tab. So if you go to, what, which one is it? No, they can still find it. You can search for it at Summit PA Church. You can search and you can pull it up. So if you just go to that on the events, you can find us and you can follow along with the notes. So it's not location-based. You don't have to be here for that. Just search Summit PA Church. Follow the notes with us online and uh, you can see some of the notes. You can see um, the scripture and things like that. But it's in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. And this is where we'll begin. It says, and as Jesus passed on there, Two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? 
So these blind men said to Jesus, they said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And so they're, they're declaring his identity, not just that he's of the lineage of David, but they're declaring their belief that he is the Messiah. And they say, have mercy on us. And so they're not asking generally for mercy, they're asking specifically for healing in their bodies. And so they ask this question, and Jesus says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And the question we're looking at today is, do you believe? Do you believe? Goes on to say, they said to him, yes, Lord, we believe that you can do this. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. Now, the word that's interesting to me here, and the word we're going to focus on today is the word believe. And the word believe here in the Greek is the word, it's pistuo. And the word pistuo means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, or to place confidence in. To be persuaded of, to believe something to be true, to be, be confident of something. And I'll be honest with you, when I was a kid, I was, a, I was very confident about a lot of beliefs I had. When I was a little boy... Uh, I never got into bed like a normal human when I was a child because when it was time for bed, I would turn off the lights and I would run and I would jump from as far away as I could possibly manage. I would leap into the bed. It was like a, like a Jesse Owen distance, like long jump you know, from the, as far away out into my bed. I would crash into the bed and pull the covers up. And the reason I did this is I had a conviction. I was convinced that there was a monster who resided under my bed that no one could see, that my mom, I would tell her, and she didn't know about it, it wasn't there, but there was a monster who lived under my bed. And if I got in bed like a normal person and stood next to my bed, the monster was sure to grab my feet and pull me under the bed. Now, I know I'm not the only person that believed that. There was more kids jumping in their bed, I'm sure, across our nation to some degree or another because we believed, we had a conviction that there was a monster under our bed. Now, thankfully, I grew out of that. After I got married, my wife convinced me, there's no monster under the bed. It's fine, baby. You don't have to jump into bed anymore. It was weird. Um, so now I'm fine, and I don't believe that. But uh, no, I grew out of that. I stopped believing there was a monster under my bed. My convictions changed. My, what I was convinced of changed through the years. I will tell you this. When I was a little boy, I loved comic books. I still love superheroes and superhero movies. I'm a nerd. I, I confess to that. Um, and I learned to read by reading comic books. And when I looked at the pantheon of superheroes, Superman, it, that was that was just out of this world. He literally was an alien and, and the Incredible Hulk and like none of those were realistic and I understood that. But there was one superhero that kind of stood alone and it was Batman because Batman was just a rich guy who was in fantastic shape. And I thought, Batman isn't just a fantasy. That is a career option for me. Like if I play my cards right, I might be Batman someday. And unfortunately, uh, I'm not rich, but I am in fantastic shape. So I'm halfway there, I guess. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's really weird telling jokes with nobody in the room. Uh, by the way, I was, I was ready this week to get into shape. I decided I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. And uh, the Y closed, so now I can't even go get in shape. But do you know who's still open? The Meadows. So just remember that. Remember who loves you. Uh, the Meadows is still open. I had lots of beliefs. When I was a kid, I grew out of those beliefs. Some of those beliefs changed. If you're watching on Facebook Live with us, let us know. Comment in the, uh, in the section there. Let us know some of the things maybe you believed when you were a kid. Maybe there were fears you had, something you believed that has shifted over the years. Because we all have them. And the truth is, we still have beliefs even today. There are things you believe that you're deeply convinced of, that you're convicted of, that you, you know this has got to be true. 
And, and we get to choose what we believe. And what I see in the culture we live in today is that, that we have a deep belief that coronavirus is going to take over the world. We have a deep belief that the stock market is in shambles. We have a deep belief that toilet paper is in short supply. At least in our part of the country, that's what people seem to be the most, uh, most concerned about. But this is the thing. We get to choose what we believe. And we, we get to choose whether we believe one thing or the other. And, and hopefully we will move past some of those beliefs into beliefs that are really important. So you get to choose what you believe today. When Jesus asked these men, do you believe that I am able to do this? It didn't change who Jesus was. It didn't change his ability. Jesus, Jesus asked the question, and if they would have said, no, we don't believe you can heal us, it wouldn't have changed whether he was able to heal them or not. But what it would have changed is how he manifested in their lives. So I want you to hear this. No matter what you believe about Jesus today, it does not change who he is. What it changes is how he will manifest himself in your life. Because his ability is the same regardless of what you believe. Regardless of what you think about him, it doesn't change who he is. So what I'm telling you today is um, your belief in Jesus isn't a powerful factor, but your belief in who he actually is is what activates your miracle. So you just having belief is great. But you believing that he is who he said he is, is what will activate your miracle in your life. His ability to do what he said he'll do. So when he asks these blind men the question, do you believe that I'm able to do this? He's asking us the same question today. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe that I am who I say I am? And we have the opportunity to respond to that question today. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is walking with his disciples and he actually approaches a fig tree and it's supposed to be producing figs, but it's not. And so he curses the fig tree and it withers up and dies. And his disciples are in awe. They just witness this. It's crazy. And in the Holman Christian Standard Bible is what I'm going to read this passage from. It's in Matthew 21, 21, and it says this, Jesus answered them, I assure you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you tell this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, what we want to be careful of is this last line. Whatever you believe, you will receive if you ask for it in prayer. Because what we do with that verse sometimes is people will say, hey, you know what? I just need to believe for a $100,000 check in the mail. I'm going to believe that it's in my mailbox right now. So God, I'm going to believe it and I'm going to receive it. And that's not how this works. What Jesus is getting at is if you really believe he is who he says he is and your heart is, is, is connected to him and your heart is deeply devoted to him, what's going to happen is you are going to look more like him. You're going to become more like him. Your values will begin to align with his values. Your desires will begin to align with his desires. And so when you ask for things, you're going to be asking for things that he wants to give you. So you're, going to, you're not going to ask for a $100,000 check in the mail anymore. You're going to be asking and saying, God, hey, in this time of crisis in our world, God, give me eyes to see people around me who need help that I can help and support and bless. And God's going to go, that's a prayer I can answer. I want to help with that. I want to open up your eyes. I want to give you opportunities. So what happens is our prayers begin to change. And so it's, it's, not, that, it's not that this verse isn't true. It's 100% true. But we need to shift our understanding of this verse because God is not a genie in the bottle. Jesus is not interested in just solving your problem. He wants to change your heart. 
But faith doesn't believe that God can, it believes that God will. Not only can God do something, but God will do something. Not, Not only is he able to do something, he has the heart to do it as well. He is good. He is able and he is good. And when we believe that about who he is, it opens us up to live the life that he dreamed for us to live. Now, just because we believe he can and he will doesn't mean he always does. Now, that's part of us understanding that God is sovereign. I can trust him. I can love him. And and I can pray a prayer, a fervent prayer, a prayer from my heart. And just because I do doesn't mean he's always going to answer it the way I want him to. Um, because honestly, I've prayed prayers recently, and you have too, I'm sure, where you prayed and God didn't answer the prayer the way you would like him to. And it doesn't change his identity, it doesn't change his goodness, it doesn't change his benevolence or his love or mercy or grace for us, but, but what it means is he is sovereign, and sometimes there's things he sees that we don't see. Sometimes there's reasons behind what he does and what he doesn't do. And we have to trust him anyway and understand that he is still a good God in spite of what I see, in spite of what I feel, in spite of what I've experienced. In James chapter one, verse eight, I'm sorry, verse five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven by and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean before, but if you've been to the ocean, you see the waves. Sometimes when the wind's blowing, those waves can get out of control. And it's chaotic if you're out on those waves. Uh, If the waves are a certain height, they will tell you, don't go out on the ocean because it's dangerous. What they're saying is conditions are dangerous. It's chaotic, so don't venture out there. And if you look at the world we live in today, It's easy to say it's chaotic. It seems dangerous. It seems risky to go out there. Now, the the problem is not always in the environment because when we go into a chaotic environment, that's a problem. But the real problem, what Jesus identifies here is the man who is double-minded, the man who who is insecure, who's not sure what he believes, the man who doesn't have convictions about what he believes, that man is double-minded. And it says he's like a wave that's pushed by the ocean. This is what this verse is saying. As chaotic as it is to be in an environment where the waves are crashing, it's even more chaotic when that is in you. See, some of you are walking through chaos, but some of you have the chaos in you because you're double-minded, because you, you say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but you really don't believe he is who he says he is. So when we look at the circumstances around us, it freaks us out because we're not sure what's going to happen. But those of us that have put our faith firmly in Christ, that we say, Jesus, yes, I believe, we've anchored ourselves in him. So what happens is no matter what we're going through, that chaos might be something we walk through, but it's not going through us. So we get to walk through that in a way that we can say, hey, God's in control. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know that God is good. I know that Jesus is in control of this situation. So as long as we make sure that we anchor our belief in Jesus, then that chaos in the world will not get in our heart. One of the things that's interesting is the capacity of believers is never limited by heaven. Jesus never says, hey, there's only so much you're going to be able to do. See, the capacity of believers is never limited by heaven, but it's only limited by humans. So your belief is what limits what you are able to do in Christ Jesus. He's the one who empowers us. He's the one who gives us the ability. But ultimately, he's the one who makes it unlimited. And we're the ones who put a cap on it. We're the ones who say, well, I'd like to, but I can't. And what we're saying is my belief is limiting what Jesus will do in my life. We're putting a cap on how God wants to work. 
our belief limits that. In fact, if you just look back in the verse in Matthew that we read, when Jesus said to his disciples, hey, you, you're, you think it's impressive that I caused this fig tree to wither? You know what? If, if, if you let me work in you and you believe and do not doubt, you're going to be able to throw a mountain into the ocean. What Jesus is saying is you're going to be able to do more than what I just did if you believe without doubt, if you put your belief in me. Again, the power is not in belief. The power is believing in the right place. The power is not in you just going, I believe in something, but the power is you believing in the one who's worthy of believing in, the one who is powerful, Jesus Christ. So understand that, that the capacity of our lives is determined by who and what we are believing in and how we're believing in those things. Heaven is not limiting you. You are limiting you. In Mark chapter 9, one of my favorite stories in Scripture um, Jesus and some of his followers, they've gone up on this Mount of Transfiguration. They've had this incredible spiritual experience. Um, I mean, it is incredible. And the, the followers that are with Jesus, they're in awe of what has just happened. And they go from this incredibly powerful spiritual experience and they come down the mountain and they kind of wade into this chaos, into this mess that's brewing. And, uh, and what's happened is uh, there was a man whose son was oppressed by a demon and he brings his son and the, the disciples can't, can't uh, cleanse him or make him free, they can't heal him, and he's frustrated, the people around are frustrated, there's just noise, there's a mess, and Jesus asks what's going on, they tell him what's going on, and his response is, oh faithless generation, how long am I to be with you, how long am I to bear with you, bring him to me, and so he kind of rebukes them, and he calls them unbelieving, hey, you, you lack belief for whatever reason, and he says, bring him to me, so they bring the boy to Jesus, and Jesus asks, how long has this been happening to him? And the father responds and says, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have a compassion on us and help us. So this father, you can hear his desperation in this moment. You can hear this father who, his son from childhood, from the time he was a little boy, has been struggling. And some scholars think he might have had epileptic seizures, whatever it was. It caused him to fall. It caused him to collapse. It caused him to fall on fire and water. His life was at risk because of this. I can imagine that this father was a good father. He had taken him to specialists. He had taken him to soothsayers. He would taken him to anybody he could imagine who might possibly help his son. And I could imagine that he was desperate for a solution. He was desperate to fix the problem that he was in because he loved his son. And he responds to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you can do anything, if there's anything that you can do about this, please help us. You can almost hear his desperation in this moment. And Jesus said to him, if you can, and it's interesting because it's an exclamatory statement. So he's making the statement back to the father and he says, if you can, and what Jesus is saying is not if I can, if you can. There's something you can do about this solution, about this problem. And I can imagine the father thinking, well, what can I possibly do? And this is what Jesus says. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. What he's saying is there is no limit to what's possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Oh, I believe, Jesus. I want to believe that my son can be healed. But, but Jesus, help my unbelief. And if we're going to be honest, so many of us are there today. We look at the worldwide situation. We look at our personal stuff. Because life doesn't stop just because everything's going on in the world. If you're having trouble with your kids or trouble with a spouse, or financial issues, all those things, it seems like it's only magnified in a situation like this. 
And it's easy for a pastor like me to say, well, just trust him. It's going to be okay. But, but the truth is maybe you've been hurt by church. Maybe you've been disappointed by leadership. Maybe you've been disappointed because you prayed a prayer and it wasn't answered the way you thought it was. Maybe, maybe you feel like God has disappointed you. And, and I can imagine this father was the same way because he had baggage. He had hurt. He had disappointments through the years. I recently read a book. Um, it's by an author named Malcolm Gladwell, and it's called Talking with Strangers. And part of the book talks about this idea that when we meet someone, uh, we typically default to truth. So when we meet someone and they're telling us about themselves, we believe they are who they say they are. We default to truth. And that is a way for us to build relationships easier, for us to build community. And it takes overwhelming evidence for us to believe otherwise. So that's why maybe you've been betrayed by someone and somebody's told you, hey, they're talking about you. They're saying bad things about you. And you go, no, 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 they're not. Because you're defaulting to truth until the evidence is overwhelming. And then you look back and you go, how did I not realize that? How did I not know they were saying those things? How did I not? I was so stupid. Because what we're saying is the evidence is overwhelming. I should have known better. Now, this is the thing. So many people, even people that aren't religious, there's something deep within us that we want to trust Jesus. We want to put our hope in him. We want to put our belief in him. Uh, but the truth is, we've got baggage. See, this man had had years of disappointment, years of experience that has said, you shouldn't trust this guy because he's going to disappoint you just like all the others. You, you shouldn't put your belief in him. And so when it came time, he, he wanted to. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because his experience said, his past disappointments said, this will be no different. And his past experience was telling the story. Now you're going to be disappointed just like you always have been. And so many of you right now, you're watching this message, listening to this message, you can say the same thing, that you've been disappointed, you've been hurt, you've been let down. And now when Jesus says, do you believe? You go, oh, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but I don't believe all the way. I'm struggling, and it's because your past experience is telling you a story. There's a narrative there that you're going to be disappointed. There's a narrative there that you're going to be let down, that you're going to be hurt, so you shouldn't trust anymore. You shouldn't believe anymore because it's only going to end the same way. What's the point? But the reality is your history tells a bigger story than what your hurts tell. See, your history says there's much more to this story than just your hurts. See, if you talk to this man and said, based on all the pain you've experienced with your son, based on all the, the heartache and all the sorrow and all the difficulty, maybe it would have been better if you didn't have your son. There's not a parent in the world that would say that. And I'm sure this dad would have said, absolutely not. I'm thankful for my boy. I love my boy. He's a gift in spite of the pain. But in this moment, that's what we focus on. And so many of you, you're the same way. It was so easy for us to look at the pain and forget there's so many reasons to be thankful. Maybe you were let go of a job and you have a memory that's full of pain, but, but who brought you that job in the first place? It was God. And if God brought you a job, he can bring you another job. Who gave you the ability to work your job? It was God. If he gave you health in the first place, then he can restore your health. Who brought you that spouse that you're in marital conflict with? It was God. And if God brought you that spouse, then I want you to know something. He can heal the brokenness in your marriage. So we tend to look at the negative, and it, it taints our view of God. It causes us to believe that maybe Jesus can't be trusted with the things that he's asking us to trust him with. Maybe we should hold these things back. Maybe 
We shouldn't believe. But I'm telling you, in this moment, there is not a reason why we shouldn't trust Jesus. He is worthy of our trust and worthy of our belief. And our experience, our hurt from our experience, doesn't tell us the whole story. Jesus commonly talked to his disciples in ways that were somewhat confusing for them. And there would be times that they had no clue what he was really talking about because he would speak in parables and, and it was difficult for them at times. And there's this point in John chapter 16 when he speaks pretty directly and frankly with them. And it's interesting what their response is. In John 16, 29, it says, his disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that all things, or now we know you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Now, the place that they arrived is a place that we arrive many times too, where we have this light bulb moment where we go, oh, God really is good. Oh, Jesus is the Son of God. And we have this, this moment of clarity. And it's interesting because Jesus' response is, he just asked them point blank. In verse 31, he says, do you now believe? It's a similar question to the one we asked earlier. Do you now believe? And he's, it's almost like he's asking, are you sure you believe? Are you sure? Because this is the thing. These men had spent three years with Jesus. They had spent time with him. Not just public ministry where he was healing and teaching, but private ministry as well where they were just around him. They saw who he really was. They saw the makeup of his character and his heart. So they knew exactly who he was behind the scenes, publicly. And, and in this moment, they go, now we know that you know everything. Now we know that you don't need our help. You don't need us to ask you questions. We know that you've got this. We're, we're settled in that. We believe. And he says, do you now believe? Now you believe after all this? This is what it took? And I would encourage you in this because they didn't know Jesus as well as they thought he did. And I, I, would, I would say none of us know Jesus as well as we think we do. There's always room to grow in our knowledge of Jesus and our affection for Jesus and our heart for Jesus. So he asks them this question and then he moves on. In verse 32 it says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. So he's, he's foreshadowing to what's going to happen. And he says there's going to come a point when, um, when you're all going to be scattered. He's talking about when he's arrested. When he's arrested by the high priests uh, and he's taken into captivity, his disciples scatter and it's chaos. And they're trying to figure out what's happened. Up is down, uh, down is up. Their world is a mess. And so in this moment, he's saying not every day is going to look like today. Not every day is going to feel like today. Not every day is going to feel normal. There's going to come a time when the world is chaotic, when the world is a mess. And I want you to be prepared for that because life is fine until it's not anymore. Life is good until all of a sudden there's a hard left turn and everything changes. He goes on to say this. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus makes it very clear. Hey, Christianity is not about punching your ticket to easy street, to making sure everything is normal and easy and peaceful and happy. That is not what the Christian life is about. What Jesus says is he says, in this life you will have tribulation. You will have problems. You will have issues. You will have setbacks. Because we're not immune to that simply because of whose we are. So what he says is, there will be tribulation in this world. 
but take heart, I have overcome this world. What he says is, I desire that you have peace in this world. So what Jesus is saying is, we have the option of having peace in the midst of tribulation. When life changes, when we find ourselves in a chaotic state, when we find ourselves in a place that we never dreamed we would be, we have the possibility of peace in our lives. We have as an option. And Jesus seems to indicate that that's what he wants for us. So the question is, how does that happen? And I'll tell you this, peace is based on our beliefs. Some of you, uh, you struggle with peace. Maybe you lay your head on your pillow at night and you can't fall asleep because your mind is going a million miles an hour about all the things that are happening around you and the things that need to be done and how do you take care of and all the different responsibilities and all the different problems. Maybe it's worry, fear. But there's a belief there that, that causes you to have anxiety, that causes you to have fear, that causes you to feel pressure. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, I want you to have peace in the midst of tribulation. So how do we do that? And it's really quite simple. It's simply believing Jesus is who he says he is. It's simply choosing to believe that there's not a monster under our bed so I can get into bed without having to jump into it. It's simply understanding that he is a good God in spite of what's going on around us, that Jesus really is in control. I had someone just a couple days ago stop me, and they said, Pastor Mel, where is God in all of this? And I should have spoken directly to this man. I should have just said to him, God hasn't gone anywhere. God is still here. Like, where is your belief in all of this? Because that's what happens. We begin to believe the wrong things. We begin to believe news reports that the world is out of control. We begin to believe our feelings when our feelings say, uh, this is only getting worse and you need to panic. You need to take care of yourself. When we put our faith and our trust and our belief in Jesus, it anchors us in who he is. I don't know if you caught this last part of this verse. The last part of the verse says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says there is reason to, to, to walk through chaos in this world because it will be chaotic. There will be tribulation. This is going to happen. But then he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. It's interesting because the word overcome here, it, in the Greek, it's nikao. And nikao means to conquer. And so what Jesus literally is saying is there's tribulation in the world. There are setbacks, there are problems, there's issues in the world. And he says, but take heart, I have conquered the world. He's victorious over it. There's nothing we can face in this world that Jesus hasn't already taken care of. Coronavirus has to bow to Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying to you today is we get to choose what we believe. What are you believing in? The phrase fear not is used 366 times in Scripture. Over and over and over, we see God trying to encourage us to, to choose to believe the right thing. Stop believing our fears. Stop believing our anxiety. Stop believing rumors. Believe God. Believe that he is in control. Believe that he's good. And when we do that, we will fear not. But the truth is, what we're walking through today is it's unprecedented. It's something we've never seen before and it's something we've never experienced before. It's new to so many of us. And it's reminded me, if you're part of Summit Church Back in the month of January, we did a series called The Wilderness. 
And if, if you're part of Summit, you experience that. If you're not, I would encourage you, go listen to that. Go download the podcast or watch the video uh, from the month of January. In the last weekend of January, we talked about this idea of terra incognita. Well, we talked about it throughout the series. And this phrase, terra incognita, and we passed out some rocks, some river stones that last weekend. We still have some available here at Summit. Uh, next time you're here, you can pick one up at the Info Center. But I just told people, let's use this as a reminder that, that God is inviting us into the terra incognita. Now, terra incognita is a Latin phrase, and it means unknown lands. And it was used in cartography on maps to, to note the part of the map that had been unexplored. And it was basically a warning saying, don't go here. We don't know what's out there. And what I felt so strongly as the pastor of this church is that God was leading us in 2020 into the terra incognita. He was inviting us into the place that we'd never been before, an area that's been unexplored, an area that we were gonna have to trust him. Because I want you to know something today. If he's leading you to something, he's leading you through something. He's not taking you to a place that you've never been before to leave you there. He's bringing you through it. Can we trust him in the terra incognita? Can we trust him in the unknown? Can we trust him when we walk off the edge of the map and we're not sure what tomorrow holds, we're not sure what the future holds, we're not sure what the economy holds, we're not sure what our health holds. And when we're walking through this uncharted territory, I would tell you there's three beliefs that I want you to have for these unmapped times real quickly. The first is believe in yourself, which sounds like something Oprah would say, uh, but Oprah probably wouldn't say it like this. You are not the answer to your problem. Jesus is the answer to your problem. Jesus works in you to, to, to turn you into, to create the person he wants you to be. See, you think you're afraid, but what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, is that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So every time fear starts to well up in your heart, I want you to stop because God didn't give you that spirit. If God didn't give you that spirit, somebody else did. So if God didn't give it to you, you don't want it. That's not who you are. You are not a fearful person. You're not a person who lives in fear. You're not a person who lives afraid. That's not who God called you to be. He called you to be a person of power, love, and self-control. So I want you to remind yourself of that. Hey, this is who God says I am in 1 Timothy. I'm a person of power, love, and self-control. I'm not gonna live in fear. I'm not gonna believe the wrong things. In Romans chapter eight, it says, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are not a victim of our circumstances. You're not a victim of this world. What we see here, Paul tells the Roman church that you are more than conquerors. In fact, it's the exact same Greek word that Jesus uses for overcome. You have, I've overcome this world. It's nakao. And what Paul actually says is you are more than conquerors. You are, it's ubar nakao is what the word is. You are more than, greater than, bigger than conquerors. God wants to do something in you that's incredible if you'll just simply find your identity in him and say, Jesus, I believe in you. He will work through you to help you be who he wants you to be. You're not, you're not a person of fear. You're not a person that's a victim. You are a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. You are a person of power, love, and self-control. That's who you are. Second is this, believe in the church. Some of you have been so disappointed by church, so hurt by church. Some of you, you love God, but you have problems with the church. I want you to know something. What we see in the Word of God is that the church is the bride of Christ. So if you've got a problem with the church, you've got a problem with Jesus too. So I want you to know something today. Maybe you've been hurt and disappointed by your church. Um, give it another chance. Especially in times like these, you need godly community. And your godly community needs you. Find the people that you can rally around, that you can come alongside, that you can support, bless, forgive, and heal together through this season. 
The third thing is believe God. It's just simply believe God is good. Believe he is who he says he is. The word we talked about earlier, the Greek word pistuo, another definition of pistuo, the word believe is to entrust a thing to one. To entrust a thing to one. It's the same word that's used to describe depositing money in a bank. You're entrusting your money to this bank that they're not gonna spend it or do something stupid with it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read Mark chapter nine today about this man with a son, I relate because one of my most prized possessions are my girls, my daughters, Abby and them. I love them so much. And this father comes to Jesus and when Jesus asks him, do you believe? And he says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. One of the things he's asking is, do you trust me with your prized possession? Do you trust me with your son? And this is a hard question because this man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. What he's saying is, I want to, but I've been disappointed, I've been hurt, and I don't, I don't know if I can trust you with what I love so much, my son. Maybe what you love so much is your physical health. And you're watching the news you're full of fear and Jesus is saying, do you believe? And you're going, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. I want to believe. I don't know if I can trust you with my health. Do you trust me with your finances? And you, I don't know if I can trust you with my finances. I don't know if I can trust you with my job. I don't know if I can trust you with my future. And what Jesus is asking of us is not for us to sacrifice something, but for us to give something to him so we can get something better. He's asking us to trust him so he can give something to us. That something is peace in the midst of tribulation. Do you believe? Are you willing to let go of something you love for him? Trust him with something you, you value, a family member, a friend, a relationship, your finances, whatever it is. In this atmosphere of fear, in this atmosphere of chaos, will you trust him? Do you believe? Now, before we can trust him with all this stuff, we have to trust him as Lord. And so some of you that are watching today, maybe you haven't ever been to church. Maybe you haven't watched a service in a long time. And so even right now, sitting in your, in your car, in your apartment, in your home, your, your heart is beating out of your chest because you know the Holy Spirit's beginning to draw you. you. You recognize that some of the things I've said today were just for you. And that's the Holy Spirit. He's, he's trying to bring you home. He's trying to bring you into a right relationship with God. So I want to give you that opportunity. And I know this might be a little bit awkward, but I would love for you to bow your head and close your eyes right where you're at. I just want to pray a prayer over you. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. And I thank you that you're not bound up by this building, that your Holy Spirit knows no bounds. So no matter where people are watching or listening to this message from, I'm grateful that you are there with them right now, that your Holy Spirit is drawing them and bringing healing to their hearts, healing past wounds, healing past disappointments. And in this moment, you're bringing them home. So God, I pray right now, before, before we do anything else, we give people an opportunity just to surrender their lives to you, to make you Lord, to say, I believe you are who you say you are. So I just wanna ask you, do you believe? If you do, I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer with us. Um, the, the four people in the room, we're gonna say it out loud here, and I'm gonna ask you to repeat the prayer with me. In the book of Romans, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It really is that simple to begin life anew. 
to just say, I believe in you, Jesus, that you are the Son of God, that you came to this earth, that you died for my sins, and that you rose on the third day. I confess you as Lord. That's, that's how simple it is. So I want to pray a prayer with you, and I'm just going to ask you to pray this with me out loud. Um, there's no shame. There's no condemnation. If you're sitting in a room with some people, I want you all to say it out loud with me. So everybody, we're going to say this prayer out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I believe that you are God and that you are good. And I trust you with my whole life. Use my life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, the word of God tells us that you are a new creation today, that the old is gone and the new has come. So if you prayed that prayer with us, no matter where you may be or how you've joined us today, I would love to help you take the next step. And so if you're somewhere here in the Indiana area, we're gonna connect you here at Summit if we can. But if you're somewhere throughout the United States or even the world, we're gonna help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can connect with. This is what I would like you to do. I want you to simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, uh, one of our team are gonna, is gonna respond to you and we're gonna help you take the next step. We're gonna get you some resources in the mail so that you can begin to grow in your faith and we're gonna help you find a church that you can connect with relationally, that you can find godly community in and begin to grow. So thank you for worshiping with us online today. If this message was helpful for you, I would love for you to share it with somebody else. Let them know that God has a future and a hope for them in spite of the chaos of this world. If you'd like someone to pray with you, um, there's a couple things you can do. The simplest is simply email your prayer need to prayer at summitpa.church. Let us know about your prayer need, and we're going to pray with you. Our, our prayer team, our, our staff, we're going to come alongside you and agree with you in whatever you may be going on in this season. Uh, there are so many things happening in this world. And I know there's a lot of chaos, but what I know is this. God is good, and God is still sovereign. He's in control. And if you're dealing with situations that seem beyond you, whether you are uh, a member of another church or a member of Summit, or maybe you're a pastor of another church and your church is struggling through the season, let us know. If there's something we can do to help, we want to. So thank you for worshiping with us today. Before we dismiss, um, I, I want to... Our president declared a national day of prayer today. And I just want to close this with a prayer for our nation, a prayer for our country. And so I would love for you, if you feel comfortable, to just join with me as we close out in prayer for our, for our, our country, the United States of America. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are God and that you're in control. I pray today you would alleviate fear, that you would bring peace, that you would bring calm to our country. Lord, I pray that you would help us see clearly what is true and what is not. Lord, I pray that you would begin to slow the uh, spread of the coronavirus in our nation, Lord. In fact, I pray that you would bring a halt to it entirely, Lord. I pray that people who have been infected will be healed and strengthened. Lord, I pray that you take away fear from parents, from caregivers, from nursing home uh, people who reside in nursing homes. God, I pray that old and young alike, people would be at peace knowing that you are in control. So Lord, help us put our belief and our faith and our trust in you. And I pray that this would be Lord, not, not the darkest hour of our nation, but God, I pray that this would be the moment where your light can shine the brightest, where your people, your church can show up, that we can go into spaces that other people are leaving, that God, we can help people who desperately need it during this season, and that you would be glorified. So God, I pray that you give wisdom, give counsel to, uh, to our, our governmental officials, Lord, to 
the president, Lord, to his advisors, Lord, to state leaders like Governor Wolf, Lord, to even local officials and local leaders, God. I pray that you'd give them wisdom, give them insight, and I pray that you would help us weather this well as, as a people, as a nation, and I pray that on the other side of it, we would be changed for the better, that you would work in miraculous ways. So God, we thank you and we trust you and we confess that you are God and we need you in this season. So have your way with us and it's in your name we pray, amen. Guys, I want you to know I love you more than you know and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you, have a wonderful week.